0: ever wonder who you really are? What is awareness? What is love? What are the ways you can let go of fear? If you want to hear more, stay tuned. Welcome to InnerVision. I'm your host, Nita Valens, and this is where we talk about health, psychology, spirituality, and your well-being. My guest today is a commercial broadcaster, Retread. Fortunately for us, Michael Benner turned his attention to teaching people about awareness and consciousness 35 years ago and has never looked back. He is with me today, and his book is called Fearless Intelligence, The Extraordinary Wisdom of Awareness. Welcome back to Friday InterVision, Michael.
1: Hello, Nita. Happy Friday. It's a pleasure to be on your show.
0: Thank you. It's kind of ironic because (laughs) this used to be your spot years and years ago, and now you actually are with us here on KPFK on Tuesdays, which was my spot for 15 years until a couple years ago.
1: Well, something about that feels wonderfully uh, balanced and symmetrical, so I'm good with it if you are.
0: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you with us today because the things that we have talked about over our years and years here at KPFK on our Inner Vision editions has to do a lot with what we're going to talk about today, which is consciousness, awareness, mindfulness, and you wrote a very intriguing book I never get enough of it. I still haven't finished because I could spend 10 minutes on one sentence. And for the listener who may not have encountered you yet, I thought we could start by talking some about your background. You didn't even grow up in LA, did you?
1: No, actually, I'm from a small town in southwestern Michigan, about 6,000 people surrounded by fruit orchards and farms and On the west side, Lake Michigan, we were straight across from Chicago. Then I went back to Lansing, where I was actually born. My parents were still in college and graduated Michigan State, spent a few years in Detroit, and came to Los Angeles in the mid-70s. And Boy, I've never regretted it. I just love Southern California.
0: Well, that's good to know, because a lot of people have a lot of complaints about SoCal, and I come from Colorado, and I love it here. So that's two of us. So what brought you out here?
1: Well, the truth is, I've always wanted to live in California, and I'm not sure why. I think Disneyland and Annette Funicello and the Beach Boys (laughs) must have had something to do with it. It was just the dream of everything that Southern California represented. And, of course, I knew about the Sierras, the mountains in Central California, and the beauty of Humboldt in Northern California. I just thought it was a beautiful place to go. And if I lived in L.A., I'd never have to shovel snow again. So
0: There's that. That's a point. I, And in terms of my
1: radio career, it was either New York, Chicago, or L.A., and the first two have snow, so I came out here.
0: So you did always, from a young age, want to be in radio?
1: Well, I wanted to be in California. My decision to, what's the word I'm looking for, to fashion a career in broadcasting came when I was in college, and I decided to study journalism. And then I thought, well, I'd rather be on the radio or TV than a print journalist. I'd become interested in amateur radio when I was 14 years old in junior high school. And I thought the idea of talking to people around the world on shortwave was just so eminently cool. And I remember as a little boy taking the baseball scores, our Little League baseball scores to the local radio station, and it seemed like so magical. It was like being inside a starship or something. And so, yeah, there is that. There is the allure of radio and broadcasting. And I still have that. I still think radio is just the most magical thing in the world.
0: I would agree with you on that. So you started out in commercial, though. What was that like? What was going on?
1: Well... In the 60s, it was an opportunity for me to talk about the war, about civil rights, ecology. The first Earth Day was 1970. The war went on in Vietnam until '73, I think. Yes. I was news director at uh, ABC-owned FM in Detroit in 1971 and was fired for refusing to use the word enemy. And I was baffled because I was reporting in the most unbiased and balanced way, calling the North Vietnamese government, by its proper name, the People's Revolutionary Government, the PRG, and their army was the National Liberation Front, the NLF. Well, believe it or not, maybe hard to believe now, but in those days, all the wire copy would simply say, the enemy. Well... The Vietnamese people were not my enemy. I didn't see that there were any threat to democracy or freedom or liberty. The whole war seemed immoral and unjust, and and now we know so. They admitted the whole thing was based on a lie, the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution. So the union that I was in after, we sued ABC, and we actually won for wrongful discharge Me being shown the door for refusing to say enemy, for refusing to be a propagandist. So that's one thing that comes to mind when I think about my early days as a broadcast journalist.
0: That's incredible that that was going on. It reminds me of the divisiveness we have today. It's very interesting. So it really started longer ago than we thought. So then did they have to reinstate you?
1: Yes, I was given the option of taking a check or getting reinstated. And I had already gained new employment across town at a different radio station, a W4, WWWW. Got real good at saying my W's. And I was having a great time, so I just kept the money and never went back until I came to LA. And then I worked for ABC's stations out in Los Angeles, KABC and KLOS. And I don't think they really knew about the lawsuit in Detroit.
0: Oh, that's funny. It's like the uh, old story about the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing type of thing?
1: Not in a big company by ABC, and this was even before it was purchased by Disney. This is back in the ABC Inc. days. They stood alone, came out of, you know, ABC Radio. There used to be a red network and a blue network, and one became NBC and one became ABC Going way back.
0: Wow, that's interesting. I never knew that. So you then are here. So you're working for ABC. Then were you pretty happy? Was that going well?
1: Oh, that was the peak of my career because we had so many listeners being on two, at the time, very big radio stations. KABC had a ten share. That means one in every ten radios that was turned on was likely to be tuned. You know, out of a hundred radio stations, one in ten was listening to KABC, and that was before hate radio. That was before mm-hmm. Rush Limbaugh and the popularity of far right wing, you know, off the edge, confrontative radio, and so. We had liberals and conservatives and all manner in between of talk show hosts, but we were a single family, and we were able to disagree with grace and respect, and I think that accounted for why it was such a wonderful environment to work in, and also because there were so many listeners. We had many phone calls, and the talk shows that I did were just open phone talk shows, and... We would use news and current events as a reason to initiate the program, talk about the news of the day. But on my show, I very quickly took people to why they believe what they believe. Uh So after they'd state their belief, like, I support capital punishment. Okay, that's nice. Now tell me why. And this is when the show would get really interesting because most people have difficulty telling you why they believe, what they believe. And if you lean into them a little bit, if you say, well, you sound a little defensive, it seems you're getting angry now. Why would you get angry about this discussion? And that was sort of my M.O., my modus operandi was to go as quickly as possible from what someone thought to why they felt that way. And the audience loved hearing people emotionally naked on the radio, stuttering and stammering with no real idea where their belief systems come from.
0: Well, if you're just joining us here on InterVision, with me today is Michael Benner. And he has a show on Tuesdays at one o'clock, but. We're talking about his book today, Fearless Intelligence, subtitled The Extraordinary Wisdom of Awareness. We'll get into it in a little while, and you'll also find out in a little while how you can get a copy of the book by supporting KPFK. This could be your thank you gift. Right now, we're just letting you get to know Michael a little bit. So now that you've hit this style of yours, which is to really kind of delve beneath the surface on issues and why people are feeling the way they're feeling or thinking the way they're thinking, what happens next?
1: Well, most people think they think what they think (laughs) because of the way they feel. And it is true that thoughts can generate feelings, but I think it's even more primary that our emotional feelings can cause our thoughts to develop along certain patterns, And so the reason that most people believe what they believe is more emotional than mental, that is more of an affect or a mood or an attitude, again, a belief system than any logical facts, more about quality than quantity. And our emotions are not very well understood. As you know, you've interviewed Daniel Goleman. This field of emotional intelligence that he's largely responsible for naming and talking about in the mid-90s, well, that only goes back 25, 26 years, and the research that led Goleman to write that book only goes back at most a decade before that. So emotional intelligence is a pretty new field, and it's an exciting field, because emotions... Emotion, energy in motion, that's what motivates us. The reason why we believe what we believe and the reason why we think the way we think. And of course, the reason why we do what we do is emotional, because I felt like it. (laughs) Right, right. I did it because I felt like it. You want to make something out of it, put up your dukes, that kind of. You know, and if you say, well, wait a minute, did you ever stop to think about this or think about that? A person with high self-awareness will go there with you, but the more stressed out we are, in other words, the more fear that we carry and counsel, the worse our self-awareness becomes, and then we're much more likely just to be defensive, we get angry, we sometimes become hateful and vengeful. Greedy, even more self-interested, and this can just spiral down into a kind of person you really don't want to hang around with. But many people don't know what to do to climb out of that pit.
0: So what happened with that show? Because you didn't stay there after a period of time.
1: No, I left ABC in 1987, just a matter of weeks after my 40th birthday. And I took a year off, Nita, and I rented a cabin on Mount Pino's up north of Los Angeles. And I sat up there in that cabin with my dog and my amateur radio gear so I could talk to somebody.
2: (laughs) Right. And
1: plotted, what are you going to do with the second half of your life? It was sort of like halftime in a football game. You know, well, you're 40, now what? I saw the handwriting on the wall with radio talk shows were following Rush Limbaugh's lead. They were getting nastier, more confrontative, more binary. Nuance was going away. Well-reasoned arguments were almost impossible. So that's when I decided to take an avocation of mine, which was meditation and self-hypnosis and the expanded awareness of altered states of consciousness and make that a career and teach personal and, for that matter, transpersonal development and uh, make radio the hobby. So that's why I've dabbled in radio and had a few part-time jobs after that. I've worked for decades at KPFK as a volunteer. But ever since 1987, my primary career has been personal development.
0: So that actually does take us right to your book. Yeah. Is this book that you wrote kind of the culmination of many different things that you taught over the years and you finally decided to distill it into one piece?
1: Yes. It took me five years to write this book. And even in the uh, preface, I suggest to people that while they could breeze through it, The best way to read it, perhaps, is in tiny, bite-sized pieces, and just let the book sit on the table next to your bed and uh, read a couple of paragraphs, maybe a page, and then ponder it, reflect on it, because it is, you know, pretty pithy, it's profound. It's not off-putting, it's accessible, and each chapter starts with a true story from my life to demonstrate whatever principle I'm talking about in that chapter, so... That part's easy to read and fun and reads almost like a novel, but it gets a little textbooky in parts, and I tried to avoid that. But it's about fear because I find that virtually all of her problems are either caused by or exacerbated by anxiety. And talking to many other personal development people, many of them marriage, family, and child therapists, or
0: like me, <laughs> yeah,
1: psychotherapists, exactly like, like you, <laughs> or psychologists and behavioralists, social workers, and such. The understanding of anxiety disorders, the number of anxiety disorders that play into people's lives. I just became a student of what frightened me, and one day, this is an absolutely true story, about 35 years ago, I was sitting alone in meditation, and I had this wonderful revelation, this voice spoke to me clearly from somewhere deep inside my brain, even used my name and said, Michael, the best parts of you are hidden where you are most afraid to look. And I repeated that to myself to make sure I would always remember it and then realized it would be impossible to forget. That's so profound. That means I must explore my fear if I want to discover the truth. And then I started wading into literature and found many other very wise women and men had said the same thing. One of my favorites is Ralph Waldo Emerson, the famous transcendentalist, who said, knowledge is the antidote to fear. Well, that means what fear is, is not danger, but confusion or uncertainty or anything unknown. Fear is how it feels to be stupid and ignorant. And the problem is it becomes a vicious cycle because the more confused, When I say ignorant, by the way, I don't mean lacking a capacity. I mean just not having access to the information, or maybe even choosing to ignore it. I'm not demeaning people who have low self-awareness. They have the capacity. So ignorance may not be the best word, but there are not very many words in truth for a failure to understand things.
0: That is really true. And ignorant means we don't know yet. That's how I think of it. I don't have that information yet, but I want that information. If you're just joining us with me is Michael Benner, and he's written a fabulous book. And we're going to make sure that if you pledge support to KPFK, you get a copy. And there's a few ways to do that. We'll get to that in a little while here on InterVision. And we also need to take our first little break here on Innervision, so bear with us this is intervision and we'll be right back with more from michael benner and
2: his book This radio station, KPFK, is now over 62 years old and has persisted in fulfilling its mission as an independent, non-commercial, community radio institution. In those 62 years, KPFK has provided rich media opportunities for many to participate and contribute to the Pacifica mission. KPFK's work is carried on by each new generation of radio practitioners and listener sponsors – The station supporters, at the end of the day, are aware that no one person or group is more valuable to the viability of KPFK than the institution itself. And KPFK will not succumb to any one crisis or challenge. We've weathered many storms over these past six decades, and with your help, we will continue well into the future. Please ensure KPFK's longevity now by making your pledge at kpfk.org or by calling 818-985-5735. Thank you. This is singer songwriter Nancy Sanchez inviting you to tune in every Saturday night at 10 p.m. right here on KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles to listen to the best Latinx alternative show on the coolest radio station powered by the people, La Gente. See you this Saturday at 10 p.m. on Travel Tips for Aslan. Nos vemos.
0: So if you're just joining us, with me today is Michael Benner, and he has written an amazing book. I know that you would like to have it. Even though we didn't say too much about the book yet per se, you have been hearing about Michael's life. So I'm sure that since you have been all over the dial a little bit, we didn't get into that too much. But before KPFK, I believe you were at KLOS right before coming to KPFK, and the book is called... Fearless Intelligence, The Extraordinary Wisdom of Awareness. If you'd like to go to kpfk.org and pledge your support at the $100 level, Michael will send you an autographed copy of the book. That's a $100 pledge. Now, if you would like to pledge at the $60 level, and that means you could also become a monthly prescriber if you like, on any amount of money you can do the monthly thing, by the way. It's called the Sustainer Circle then you can, for $60, get the downloadable copy of the book. Now, if you want the autographed, signed by Michael personally to you, and that's the physical book, we have only a limited amount of those. So call now or go online at kpfk.org. The number is 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Okay. Okay. So, I love what you were saying about fear. I think it's worth talking a little bit further about fear and anxiety, Michael, if that's okay with you, and really kind of defining a bit of how that keeps people stuck. And also, one of the things that keeps coming up in my conversations with Marianne Williamson over the last four or five years is that. When people have anxiety or depression or something going on and they rush to the doctor and the doctor gives them a prescription for an anti-anxiety drug or an anti-depressive drug, then it's kind of like something in the process of us getting to know ourselves and seeing if we could deal with this in another way gets cut off because we're so used to decades and decades of something bothers you take a medication. You have heartburn, take a medication. Don't look at what you ate, just take the medication. And I'm not saying that there aren't people that really need medication who have anxiety or depression. I'm not saying that. And certainly don't stop your meds because of this conversation. But what I'm saying is we need to have some time with ourselves in introspection so that we can learn about ourselves and about our feelings. I feel like that's part of the premise of your whole book and of decades of your work teaching.
1: Well, I think this idea of medication for mental health, these are not antibiotics that we're talking about or compounds that affect organs in your body. That's your brain that you're messing with. And the whole idea of approaching good mental health with chemistry is still very, very debatable. Yes. I always get pushback from people when I go into this, so I'll be brief. The only problem with an I won't say the only problem, the primary problem with using antidepressants or muscle relaxers, central nervous system depressants, is that It may help you feel less depressed, less sad, less pessimistic, but you also feel less of everything else.
0: Exactly. There it is.
1: And that's your guidance system, your positive feelings, your love, your happiness, your joy, your enthusiasm, your sense of adventure, your urge for social justice and fairness, your humor, your appreciation of beauty. These Positive feelings, I'll say, keep doing what you're doing, stay the course. A negative feeling, and I hesitate to even call them negative because they do have value, but we call our negative feelings by that term because they hurt, they irritate, they frustrate, they're uncomfortable. Those feelings we need to be very aware of and sensitive to because. They tell us where we need course correction, and so it's sort of like um, an instrument that we use to stay within the white lines and go right down the road without running in the ditch. Physical pain has value. We don't want to feel physical pain, but there's value in alerting you to a problem you're having with a certain condition, and so it is with emotional pain as well. You may not want to feel heartache or grief or loss or anger or frustration, contempt, whatever, but it's a signal. And basically, because every so-called negative emotion, everything that hurts or frustrates or irritates is rooted in fear, therefore represents something unknown. Remember, all fear is fear of the unknown. It's not about danger. We're afraid of all kinds of things that we know are not dangerous. You know, you could be afraid of a job interview. Well, nobody's gonna shoot you, the worst that's gonna happen is you don't get the job. Or, you know, on your first date, you might experience a lot of stress and anxiety about how to behave, and how your attempt at small talk is gonna be received, but you're not in any danger, and yet you're still shaking like a leaf, you know? So fear really has nothing to do with danger. It's about what we don't know, what we don't understand, what's confusing or uncertain, whether dangerous or not. And the point is that that anxiety, you know, everything from panic to mild apprehension, a little bit of nervousness is still fear. That shatters self-awareness. It's called the amygdala hijack, and in order to prepare you for what it presumes is real danger, it shuts down your whole frontal lobe and your cortex and your reasoning, and you end up doing stupid things and saying things you immediately regret and missing opportunities and making horrible mistakes all because you're stressed. And when it becomes a lifestyle, this is not a bad thing in the short term if you're surprised, you know, or... If the danger is real, that these autonomic reactions, the adrenaline and the cortisol and tight muscles and elevated blood pressure and pulse and respiration, even brain waves accelerate and pupils dilate to help you deal with the real danger. But then when you survive, ideally as a result of fighting or running, when you survive, Ah, you breathe, you relax, you you go back to feeling safe and peaceful. And in this day and age, many of us, we just never recover. That high stress state just becomes a lifestyle and it's eroding significantly our intelligence. And it's really that simple. You cannot talk about knowledge, understanding, or intelligence without talking about awareness.
0: I agree with everything you just said. And I would also add that one of the dangers is something called adrenal burnout. It might actually be a real diagnosis in the uh, DSM, but it means that what you were just saying a second ago, if there's a cycle of where these things keep happening, where you just have so much worry and so much anxiety Then those two chemicals, the stress chemicals that you mentioned, the adrenaline and the cortisol, well, we can just kind of burn ourselves out. So we have to really have balance in our lives. We have to rest. We have to take breaks. I actually want to hear more about that year after your 40th birthday when you went to the cabin with your dog, because I bet that was an amazingly introspective year. And I wish all of us could have, like in Europe, they have these month-long vacations during the summer. America, we're just like all workaholics. It's crazy. And there's not a value placed on relaxation, meditation, self-hypnosis, and I was thinking maybe your book could change all that for our listeners today because you can pledge for Michael Benner's book right here, right now. You can phone 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or go online at kpfk.org, and you're going to ask for the book two possible ways. You either want to spend $100 and get the autographed copy, the physical book— and that's limited. So if you want that, do it now. Ask for the book Fearless Intelligence, The Extraordinary Wisdom of Awareness. Or if you want the downloadable version, that's a $60 pledge. Same process. Call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or go online to kpfk.org. And we would love for you to have this book because if you feel like you're the little hamster on the hamster wheel and the wheel is spinning and spinning and you're getting real, real exhausted. This might be the moment you say, okay, stop everything. I'm going to read this book and see what's going on with myself. Because I think, Michael, are we just so busy that we don't even take the time to be in touch with what we think, what we feel, but mostly really it's our feelings, isn't it?
1: Yes, of course. There's two areas in our lives very distinct areas where we can not know things. One is the world and uh, everything outside of us. And so we go to school to learn to use our mind, to think objectively, to study using science and reason, logic, analysis, to know the world around us. So people have situational awareness. What most of us are lacking is self-awareness. And that's the internal landscape. We want to change our lives by changing the world around us. And it just doesn't occur to most people to change the inner landscape. was a wonderful old saying from the East that you can either cover the world with leather to avoid injuring your feet or simply wear sandals. <laughs> and I think... Most people would rather change the world to get a little peace of mind than turn it around in a much more reasonable way and create some inner peace, which is really not something you attain, but something you allow. You have inner peace and love and joy and happiness within you right now. Every one of us does. It's not something we attain. What we need to do, as Rumi said is remove all the barriers we've built against it. And one of those barriers is our insistence that we are a victim of living, that Mm. we're victims of life, that life has done to us. Emotions are a great place, and actually an essential and, and imperative place to begin to turn that equation around and accept that your emotions are not done to you. Nobody can make you angry, make you hateful, or make you feel loved. Our emotions are personal responses to stimulus from the world. And, boy, that makes all the difference when you know that... Let's say I line up ten people off the street and say in a controlled experiment so I don't get attacked... I say something insulting to each one of these ten people. Every one of them, even if my language and my verbiage, my body language, my demeanor, my facial countenance is exactly the same in each case, will get unique reactions from each one of those people because what they feel is personal. And to know that nobody can make you angry without your consent... Nobody can insult you without your permission or your buy-in. And If somebody can hurt you with words, it just signals that you don't know the truth. If somebody says, Benner, you're a moron. You're an idiot. You don't have two brain cells to rub together. Well, I may not be a genius, but I know those things are not true, so how could they hurt? And if they do, it's because I'm unclear. I don't have high self-awareness or even moderate levels of self-awareness. And so beyond intelligence is awareness. We must develop awareness if we are to be intelligent, if we are to gain knowledge and understand it.
0: So what in the book do you specifically have to help people achieve this?
1: Well, there are many ways to improve, to expand awareness. Expanded awareness is sometimes called higher consciousness, and it is an elevated perspective. It's as if you're looking down from 30,000 feet, and you have... Uh, supervision is, is supervision, <laughs> not supervision. But your 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 superpower extraordinary is extraordinary vision. vision. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and you can see your life from that elevated perspective. This is called, in the wisdom traditions, a state of non-attachment. Sometimes a beginner will call it detachment, but that would be oblivion. We're not detached. We don't want to detach completely from our emotions. But we also want to recognize that what we've been calling being stuck is actually holding on. Because that's what fearful people do. They hold on. And then they wonder why they're feeling stuck. You know, you can ride the roller coaster by holding on for dear life and maybe vomiting when you get off the damn thing. (laughs) Or you can throw your hands in the air and shout whoopee, and when you get off, run around to get in line again, because it was so extraordinary and so much fun. But, Nita, the roller coaster is the same ride in either case.
0: That's true. It is.
1: So life really is what we make it you see? It's what we initiate. Life is a two-way street. There's what we contribute to the world and what the world gives us, you know? And there's definitely a two-way street. But the primary direction is not to experience yourself as a target or a victim or an effective life. The primary direction in that give and take, that ebb and flow, is is what you give to the world, what you radiate, what you emanate, the seeds that you sow, your intention and the karma that you put out into the world. The life will mirror your intentions and the allegories of you reap what you sow or you target fixation, you go where you look. You're trying to avoid a rock in the road on your skateboard or motorcycle. If you look at the rock, every attempt to avoid it will be countermanded by the unconscious and you'll sure as hell hit the rock. You reap what you sow, you go where you look, you get what you expect. It's just how the mind works. If you want to avoid the rock, look at what you do want, the path around it. A life of avoiding what we don't want, which is what you do when you're afraid usually, is not a goal. And then you wonder why you're not getting anywhere. You don't have what you want because you don't know what you want because you're obsessing on avoiding what you do not want. Therein is the rub.
0: That is the rub, and we're going to talk more about that in just a minute when we come back from our second break of the hour. So KPFK can do some of its business. This is InterVision. My guest is Michael Benner, and we're talking about his book, Fearless Intelligence, The Extraordinary Wisdom of Awareness. And we'll be right back.
2: It's past the hot time at KPFK as we close out 2021 with the year's final honor pledge drive. It's as convenient as going online at kpfk.org to enter your pledge yourself or call 818-985-5735 anytime to speak to a friendly phone operator. Best wishes to all in this holiday season and thanks for supporting KPFK Los Angeles. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a Japanese transistor radio. This time of year brings the seven days of Kwanzaa, the eight days of Hanukkah, the 12 days of Christmas, and now the 16 days of Drive. But who's counting? KPFK is counting on you, the listener, to make your donation to help keep KPFK on the air with its always special broadcasting. The drive runs from December 7th through December 22nd, celebrating KPFK's diverse program schedule and offering special gifts. Please make your donation online at kpfk.org or call 818-985-5735. As we count down to the end of 2021, we wish everyone a healthy and hearty holiday season, and thank you for your support of KPFK Los Angeles. And it has a wire with a thing on one end that you could stick in your ear and a thing on the other. If end. you're
0: just joining us, this is a Fun Drive special, Inner Vision. My guest is Michael Benner. And if you're confused and you're saying, what? Is it Tuesday? Is it Friday? Well, it is Friday. I'm your host, Nita Valens. Michael's program is on Tuesdays, same time slot. So, yeah, we're having fun today. And Michael has a gift that he brought for you to pledge support to KPFK. It is his book, Fearless Intelligence, The Extraordinary Wisdom of Awareness. And you can get it two ways. At the $60 level, you can pledge to KPFK by phoning 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or online at kpfk.org, and ask for Fearless Intelligence, the downloadable version. Now, if you want the actual book signed by Michael Benner, you call those same numbers, 818-985-5735 or online at kpfk.org. But there are limited copies available. So you need to do that right now, please, before our hour ends. That's 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK or online, kpfk.org. And ask for the physical book autographed by Michael Benner. Again, the title is Fearless Intelligence, and that's a $100 pledge. So you get the $60 level pledge. You get the downloadable one. Or at the $100 level, you can get the physical book. I really like physical books myself, Michael. (laughs) That's my thing is to hold a book in my hand, open the book, smell the newly printed book. I just love that. And I've loved it since I was a kid. So that would be my thing. But you decide for yourselves. And also, it's available to you to become a member of the Sustainer Circle, which you can do at $5 a month and have the $60 copy of the downloadable version of Michael's book. Or you can just do that at any amount, $10, $20 a month, whatever works for you. 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or online at kpfk.org. What do you think of all that, Michael?
1: Well, I was just thinking about uh, the fact that my publisher uses really high-quality materials, the uh, paper is all made in the United States, and you talk about the smell of a new book. I, <laughs> I love that. I don't know if it's the glue or the ink or the paper or what it is, but yeah, I'm sort of tactile that way myself, and the, the quality of the paperback is really good. So this book, will last. This is not the cheap uh, romance novel or something. <laughs> Trade paper, they call it. Trade paperbacks. Good book.
0: So, we were just talking before the break and before me letting people know how to support KPFK. We we're talking about being stuck, which really means holding on. And we we're talking about how to get unstuck. But the hour is going quickly. And I was thinking you could have closing remarks on that. And then I want to talk about love and living mindfully.
1: Well, I can give you the short answer about non-attachment and expanded awareness or higher consciousness that's what meditation is and there's no wrong way to meditate any more than there's a wrong way to dance (laughs) people say you know I tried meditating I, I couldn't do it, I couldn't slow my mind down let's get the pony in front of the cart you don't slow your mind down in order to meditate you meditate to slow the mind
0: (laughs) There you go.
1: It makes all the difference in the world. If you have time to breathe, you have time to meditate. And what that means is putting the left brain in abeyance, the logical, linear, analytical mind, the one that is engaging with the monkey mind, the, the intrusive negativity, the part of our unconscious that is always beating us up and telling us that we're not good enough or smart enough and we don't deserve it and if we got it we'd probably screw it up anyway and you know that mantra that's going on inside everybody's head that falls away in time with practice maybe a week maybe two weeks you know it's not a, doesn't take forever to experience the benefits of the mind beginning to slow down fewer thoughts The gaps between the thoughts begin to open up, and it's much easier to turn your attention to thought patterns, what are my habits when my agenda is not task-oriented and my mind is just generating all this monkey mind chatter, and also to turn your attention in these relaxed states to how do I feel emotionally? Where in my body, since emotions are felt in the physical body, move your awareness down out of your head into your body and feel the feeling or set of feelings in your body. Where in your body are you feeling those feelings? If they had a color, what color would those feelings be? If you could imagine, just imagine reaching out tentatively and carefully to touch that feeling. How would it feel to the touch? Then your intuition is developed such that you begin to gain a non-logical, and I don't mean illogical, but a non-logical insight. You know how intuition just sort of pops these little eureka illuminations into your head, these little ahas, and sometimes big ahas, like, oh my God, that's why I feel that way. This is connected to me being ten years old and my parents were divorced. No wonder I don't trust relationships. It's my abandonment from my childhood. Oh my God, that's what's screwing me or whatever. I'm just, you know, choosing a a common hypothetical here. Yes. But you you begin to make these associations and you understand why you feel the way you feel. And that understanding alone is often all you need. That's the antidote. It's just once Toto pulls back the curtain, you go, "Oh, I see." Well, <laughs> then I, uh, I see who the wizard really is here, and he, uh, he's here to tell me that I've already got everything that I need. I can go home anytime I want. Yep.
0: There it is. Yep. So, you do have a chapter in the book called, What is Love?
1: Yeah. Love is awareness. Love is, first of all, love is ineffable. A word that means there are no words. Mm -hmm. It's a great word. I always thought there should be a word that meant there are no words. Uh, That would be ineffable. Love is ineffable, but having said that, It is the life force, it is the chi, it is consciousness itself, it is awareness, it is that which transcends all things and yet embraces all things, and it is fundamental to existence. The entire material universe is a function of a byproduct of loving awareness. Uh, love is the only thing that's real. There is, of course, shadow. Love, if love is light, there is the absence of love. Evil is not an opposing force. Evil does not oppose love. It is the shadow. It's the Plato's cave, the allegory of the cave. Um, the only thing you need to do to dispel darkness is shine a light, light a candle, right? And that's how love drives out evil. That's how good defeats the wicked, is just by its presence, by its unswerving, unyielding presence. We need to know that in spite of the appearance of power, evil has no power any more than shadow has power. It's not real. It's a nightmare. It's an illusion. So too fear, often described as false, adev- false evidence appearing real, F E A R. Fear is a shadow. It's just, it's only substances to represent what we don't know and what we don't understand. Why is the dark frightening? Because there's danger in it? No, it's only because you can't see. Well, what should I do? Say, hey Siri, turn on my flashlight. Or. <laughs> You know, light a candle or shine your little pen light in there. There is no struggle. Same with hot and cold. Heat is real, it's an energy like light. Cold is not an energy. Cold and dark don't have sources, they don't travel at a certain speed. They can't be measured except relative to the truth of light and heat, which are measurable uh, quantities, or actual emanations of, of energy. We even know the speed of light. Darkness has no speed. It has no source. Just because things seem to be opposite doesn't mean they oppose each other.
0: Well, the hour goes quickly, and it's time for me to remind you that with me is Michael Benner today, and his book, Fearless Intelligence, The Extraordinary Wisdom of Awareness, is on the table as a thank you gift. If you call right now and support KPFK at 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or online at kpfk.org, And I urge you to do that because the hour ends in a few minutes. And I just want to read off some of the chapters, some of this, you know, of course, we won't have time today, but hopefully you'll come back and visit InterVision Friday again. There is a chapter called, Who Am I? That is definitely worth a conversation. What is awareness? What is fear? We've been talking about that. What is the wisdom of mindfulness? We'll say a few words about that if we don't run out of time. You just heard us talking about what is love, living mindfully. I wonder if you know what that means. That can be a million things to a million people. The tools and techniques of intuitive intelligence. You were just talking a minute ago about intuition. And the feelings dialogue. I can't wait to talk about that next time. 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. Online www.kpfk.org. And you can ask for Michael's book for the $100 level, the physical book autographed by Michael, but those are limited. So check in soon if you didn't already if you want the physical book. If you want the downloadable, that is a $60 pledge, and that can be rolled out monthly because you could join the Sustainer Circle and pay $5 a month if you want to do that, or $10 or whatever you want to do. So why should you pledge support to KPFK? Let's talk about that, Michael.
1: Wow, because it's the only station of its kind. Well, we do have our sister station in Berkeley. I was going to say it's the only station of its kind west of the Rockies. We're not only community radio, we're so-called public radio, but we're very, very progressive in pro-democracy. And what I like about the Pacific admission of peace and social justice is that it is progressive by its very nature. In other words, we demonstrate with our programming enormous diversity and respect for people who disagree with us. And if you get the KPFK staff together in one room, the only thing we would agree on, I'm sure, is peace and social justice and improving the dignity and respect and loving kindness that we show each other. On policy, on how we go about doing that, on what we're interested in, what we care about, I'm sure we're as diverse as you could imagine. We all have a different sense of priorities, I'll say it that way. But that's what we share, and that's what makes us a family, is we all know that we can do better, that the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, that framework is something that we have to make real with our behavior, and that includes supporting a radio station like this. Not only is KPFK a charity, but we support all the other charities. So when you contribute. A hundred bucks, one hundred and fifty bucks, two hundred and fifty bucks. You know, fifteen dollars a month, twenty dollars a month to KPFK. You're supporting all these good charities, really, because we're here to promote them. That's where we get a lot of our guests. We share a mission. We share a vision, which is progressive democracy, peace, freedom, and loving kindness, and that's what I love about it. That's why I think it merits the support of everyone who's listening.
0: Oh, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. And you and I have both been here many, many years, and we are volunteers. And we wouldn't be volunteering here if it wasn't for you, the listener, and bringing to the table what we think is going to be the most useful and empowering information That will really help you go places in your life. 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, www.kpfk.org. That's kpfk.org. We just have a couple minutes left here. It's time for me to say thank yous to everybody and get out of the way for the next programs coming up. But I want to ask you, Michael Benner, what final words do you have for the listener today?
1: Well, I'd like to repeat that revelation that I mentioned earlier. It's also on the back cover of my book, and I think it's quite profound. And you can spend years and years contemplating it. And that's that the best parts of us are indeed hidden where we're most afraid to look. We need to explore fear knowing that it doesn't represent danger but merely what we do not know what we don't know about the world yeah, to some extent but more importantly what we don't understand about our individuality about our uniqueness about our thought patterns and our feelings and what we care about i think we are what we love what do you care about that's who you are you're not what you think of yourself you are, what you care about. Let's leave it with that. The best parts of you are hidden where you're most afraid to look, and you're not what you think of yourself, but rather what you care about
0: beautifully stated michael benner my guest today thank you so much for being with me and our audience and thank you to mark maxwell in production Yout in master control please stay tuned for arts and review and the pacifica performance showcase remember we're streaming live on the web at kpfk.org worldwide if you miss a program go to the audio archives link to catch up The quote I leave you with today is by Joseph Campbell when he said, The privilege of a lifetime is being who you are. I'm Nita Valens. Thanks for listening.